We are in Philippians a little bit today. If I had planned this better, I could have coincided our text in Philippians with Easter. As it is, we're going to have to go a little backwards as we talk about the power of the resurrection this morning. Uh, A common idea, of course, the world over today, people are celebrating the resurrection of Christ. It's Easter, hooray for us. Paul, too, often celebrated that event. Our text that was read for us in Philippians 3. Now, we have been going through Philippians in our our Sunday morning sermon series. So we went over this text earlier. We went over this text more in detail, specifically about uh, some ideas in the Philippian context. But I want to backtrack. I want to look at this verse again. Philippians 3, 8 through 11. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For his sake I had suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And here's the the key idea that we're going to hone in on. Two ideas at the end of this text. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Two ideas. Really going back to the beginning. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. What is the worth of knowing Christ Jesus? It's the power of the resurrection. What is the worth of knowing Christ Jesus? It is that we may attain the resurrection from the dead. That's the worth. That's the surpassing worth. The thing that makes giving up everything else worth it. The thing that makes everything else seem like rubbish. This word rubbish in the text. Trash or refuse or garbage. Because the power of the resurrection. Because the worthwhileness of attaining that resurrection. And so we have two ideas, two questions this morning. The first, what is the power of the resurrection? Simple question. Yet it is the the core of the Bible story. It is the core of the biblical text. The idea that Paul is trying to bring out here, the power of his resurrection is more powerful than all the things that I have endured, all the things that I've counted as loss, all the things that I'm going, going through. What is the power of the resurrection? First, the resurrection allows us to approach God. And really it is the hinge point. The resurrection is the hinge point in the Bible story between the story of Israel, right? God's people in the Old Testament, the covenant given through Moses and all the laws in the land and all the sacrifices and all the things. The hinge point of the resurrection to the new thing, the better thing that has come. Hebrews 7, of course, the Hebrew writer concerned with things that are better for us. Verse 15, this becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, not like the other priests, the Levitical priests, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, that's the Levites, right? But by the power of an indestructible life. His life indestructible in what sense? Well, he was killed, but he came back. He rose from the dead. It was indestructible. For it is witnessed of him who are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. On the one hand, the former commandment, that is the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. We could not be perfect under the Levitical priesthood. The law is given by Moses to Israel. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through what? Through which we draw 
near to God. I draw near to God, why? Because the indestructible life of Jesus. Without his resurrection, without the indestructible nature of his life, I cannot draw near to God, why? Because I couldn't be perfect. I couldn't be made perfect by the old thing, the old thing of the Old Testament and the, the priesthood of legal requirement concerning bodily descent. None of that attained perfection. But because of Jesus, I now can draw near to God. We just did it in the communion. We drew near to God. We're doing it right now. Drawing near to God. We do it when we sing. We draw near to God. When we pray. And not just in this building, but whenever we do these things. When we worship, when we pray, when we draw near to him and his word. When we approach his holy throne. Why? Simply because of the power of an indestructible life. This better hope is our resurrection. The resurrection is our hope. 1 Peter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope, not a dead hope, a hope that endures. Why? Because like him, it is indestructible through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable. Don's reading of 1 Corinthians 15. We'll read another part of 1 Corinthians 15 in just a minute. The perishable versus the imperishable, right? The dishonorable versus the glorious. The resurrection, the inheritance that we have that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power being guarded through a faith for our salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. The hope that we have that is indestructible, undefiled, imperishable. Why? Because Jesus himself was imperishable. Jesus himself was undefiled. He is unfading because of the resurrection. He says it this way in Romans 6, verse 7. What is the hope precisely? For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we will believe we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Isn't this the hope? The hope that we will share in the power of his indestructible life that death will no longer have dominion over us. That he died once to never die again. That's our hope. We know that we will die once. But then to never die again. To persist imperishable, to be transformed. That's the hope, isn't it? In this hope we are saved through the resurrection, which saves us. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 12, a different part than what Don read. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can you say that there's no resurrection from the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And I want to note here that Christianity is pointless without the resurrection. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. It's useless. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. Or if the dead are raised, not if, if the dead are not raised, rather, not even Christ has been raised. And here's the point. If Christ has not been raised, then what? Your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Like what he said in Hebrews, right? The old things that could not make anything perfect. 
then those who are fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Perished eternally. They're not coming back. There's no resurrection of the dead. What's the point? If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. The resurrection is the thing that gives Christianity its power. Without the resurrection, there's no point. Let's go home. If there's only hope in this life, we are to be pitied above all. The resurrection is the thing that allows us to be out of our sins, to have salvation. The salvation that he talked about here, right? The salvation ready to be revealed at the last time that comes from not being afraid of our sins, of being washed from our sins. Romans 4 verse 20, talking about Abraham and his faith. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. In Corinthians, what's the point? The thing that he had promised? Christ was raised, therefore you will be raised. That's the thing that we have faith in. This is why faith was counted to him as righteousness, but the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours. It will be counted to us, we in this room, who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who is delivered up for our trespasses and raised, why? For our justification. He didn't need to be justified. It wasn't about his justification. This is a fancy word, justification. What does that mean? It means to be made right, to be made just, that where we had sin before, now we no longer have that sin counted against us. The trespasses that we've committed, he was delivered for our trespasses. But it is the raising, the resurrection that makes me justified, that makes me pure and holy in his sight, that removes those sins. Without the resurrection, what does he say? Your faith is useless, you're still in your sins. Go home. It's pointless. The resurrection is the saving power of God. It is not an understatement to say that the resurrection is the most important event in history. There is no more important event. It is the singular, most significant thing that has ever happened. Without it, we have no hope. We cannot approach God. We remain in our sin. We can't, we can't be with him. We can't approach him. We can't go to him. We can't approach him in prayer. We can't approach him in worship. We are separated from him, eternally cut off, dead in our sins. But with the resurrection, we have what the Hebrew writer says, confidence to enter the holy places. What makes a place holy? It's God's presence. It's the only thing that makes anything holy. When Moses sees the burning bush in Exodus 3. He's told to take off his sandals. Why? Where you're standing is holy ground. In the Old Testament, the Old uh, Covenant, the temple, there was the holy place where only the priest could enter, and then there was the most holy place, the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was, literally God's presence. And yet, what are we told now because of the resurrection? All of us, we all can enter into his presence. There's a second part, though, to the Philippian encouragement. The verses that we read in Philippians. The power of the resurrection, awesome, wonderful, great, but what? That I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. If the resurrection is the most important, powerful thing to ever happen, which it is, the question naturally becomes, the question that is inherent in these verses, what? What? 
how do I attain it? How do I get to share in that? How do I participate in that? This awesome thing that has happened, the best thing that's ever happened, the most powerful thing that's ever happened, how do I share in that? First, we got to believe in it. That's the most basic thing, right? we got to believe that it happened. Romans 10, verse 8. What does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. It is the same Lord, uh, the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Most basically, the thing that separates those who attain the resurrection from those who don't is belief. This thing that happened 2,000 years ago. That quite frankly, seems ridiculous. That some guy would die and then come back from the dead. Breaks every rule that we know to be true. Everything we can observe about reality, this event violates. Quite simply, we have to believe that he did it. That it happened. And then confess that. We call on the name of the Lord. Why do we call on him? Because we believe that I need it. I believe that I still have sin. I believe that I cannot approach God. I believe that I am cut off from him. So I call on his name because I believe that I need his power. Because I am not good enough. I need what he has done for me. And as part of that calling, what do I need to do? Well, we already read it in Philippians. That I may become like him in his death. We believe that it happened. We believe that we need it. We confess that we believe it to be true. And then we need to emulate it. We need to emulate his resurrection. 1 Peter 3.21, baptism which corresponds to this now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. What did he say in Romans 10? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Here's the appeal. What am I doing to appeal? To plead to him to give me a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers, having been subjected to him. What most important power has been subjected to him? The power of death. No longer has dominion over him. He has dominion over it. Because he's died and has been raised never to die again. And so what do we do? We are immersed as an appeal to call upon the name of the Lord. Colossians, he says it this way, verse two, uh, Colossians 2, verse 11. In him you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of flesh by the circumc circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. In Philippians, Paul says what? That I may know the power of the resurrection, that I may share in his sufferings, that I may become like him in his death. This is what that means. To become like him in his death, to be immersed, to put away, to kill, to crucify who I was before. Who you are before should be dead. They're gone. 
You killed him with the power of God. You were buried in the water, not as a bath, right? We're not removing dirt from the body. But the appeal, the call, as you've confessed, you've believed, you've turned, you've decided to submit to a higher standard because you know you need his power. You need that power of the resurrection to save you. So you're immersed in order to appeal to him for a good conscience. Because, remember, he's already done all the hard work. My part, on, my part in this process is paltry, minuscule, compared to the thing that he's already done. Philippians 3, 8, 9, we go back to what he said. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own. My righteousness is not good enough. It doesn't come from the law, my ability to follow the law. It comes from what? It comes through faith in Christ. In fact, the tacit admission in our belief in the resurrection is that I have no righteousness. Inherently, I am unrighteous, lost. I despair because I need that saving power. Ephesians 2 verse 4, But God being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. What's the immeasurable riches of his grace? The indestructible life that we will be given, right? The transformation that will come. And his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works that no one may boast. We believe in him, hopefully. We confess that God raised him from the dead. Romans says those who believe and confess will be saved. We call on his name as, I like the word in Peter, an appeal when we're immersed into Christ. The idea of an appeal is what? You appeal to a higher authority. You appeal to one who is better or greater than you. You don't demand. We can't demand. Why? Because it's not a result of works. I'm insufficient. I can't do it on my own. I appeal to God in my submission to his will by immersing into Christ because he is the one who has done all the hard work. He's the one who has made my salvation possible. He's the one who's done what needed to be done for me to be saved. It wasn't me. I couldn't do it. I needed him to do it for me. But I submit to his will. I submit in belief and confession and repentance and immersion. And what does the Philippians 3 say? I may become like him in his death that by any means possible. What is the any means possible? It's the means that he gave us to attain the resurrection from the dead. The resurrection then serves, as we conclude, as both a promise and a warning. The promise to those who believe, yeah, he was raised from the dead. He has a new priesthood by the power of the indestructible life. You can draw near to God, that's the promise. The warning what? God raised Jesus from the dead so you better be aware of what's coming 
What is it that's coming? Acts 17, 29. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Why? Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed and of this, of what? Of this coming judgment, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. The power of the resurrection to save, to cleanse, to purify, to allow us to approach God. That power is a two-edged sword. The power for those who believe to be united with him. The power for those who don't to face judgment. The power of the resurrection is open to all, but we know that not all will accept. And so there remains what? The expectation of judgment. The promise of the resurrection that you can face that day without fear. That we can look forward to his return with eager expectation. Because I've been washed in his blood. I've been saved by his resurrection. I have been unified with God by emulating his death. The warning that if I can make as plain as I can today for those who are here. The warning that he has fixed a day. What, what is the day? I don't know. Could be today. Today might be the day he returns where he will judge the world in righteousness. So I need righteousness, not my own. I need his righteousness, right? The righteousness that comes from Jesus. The righteousness that comes through his resurrection. The righteousness that we share in by becoming like him in his death. Hopefully you're ready to do that, to share in that power. There's enough for you. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what your past is. His power is greater than any sin you've ever committed. If you're ready, come. And be united with him while we stand and sing.